Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of the Worth More podcast, the second episode of 2020. I hope that your new year is off to an amazing start and that you are kind of trucking along towards your goals, both big and small. As you kind of know, I am not always like the biggest fan of like resolutions and thinking that like the new year changes everything, but I love the idea that there are just times where we sort of feel this sense of being able to start fresh, this renewed spirit of focus and energy. And I think that that can happen any time of the year, but a lot of us just, you know, our birthday and January 1st seem to be like the two main times that we do that, which is fine. So I hope that whether you had intentions or you had goals that you are working towards those, you're being intentional about working towards those, and that you are truly heading towards making this year one of the best years yet. I'm so excited for you and hopeful for you. So far, 2020 has been off to a super fun start. We've got a new little kitten, Calvin, who is currently chewing on my podcast cord. And he is adorable. We named him Calvin because our other cat's name is Hobbs. And so now we have the little duo, Calvin and Hobbs, like the comics. Um, It came to my attention when I was explaining this to a client the other day that she didn't know who that was. And I felt kind of old and kind of out of it. So hopefully you know what I'm talking about. Maybe if you don't, do a quick Google. But anyways, we have adopted an adorable little kitten named him Calvin. He is spunky and adding so much sort of joy and energy into the house. And Hobbs is slowly getting used to having another friend here. So for that, we are absolutely thankful. Um, One of the ways that I really embraced some of my intentions for 2020, one of them was to do more things that excite me. And I think what goes hand in hand with that is doing less of the things that don't. And, you know, this year or last year, I had been part-time styling for a company called Stitch Fix, and it was great. It was something that was fun and creative and allowed me to sort of play with my fashion side of things. It was flexible, but as my business has grown in LA, it was taking a lot more of my time and not giving back as much energy as I was needing it to. So I let go of that about a week ago and I felt so good about that decision. You know, I think a lot of us have what could be considered, you know, safety nets, even if we don't really need them. You know, I didn't need that anymore, but it was still hard to let it go because it was certain. I knew it. I knew what it looked like every single week and I knew what I would get paid and I knew what my job would be expected of me. And I think sometimes it can be really hard to take a step out and take a leap and say, okay, I'm going to do something that has a little more risk or that has some more unknown factors. But you never know until you try. And I think that all of us are called and pulled in different areas. And we have the power to say yes to things and the power to say no. And I realized that just as much as I want to say yes to more things that excite me, I want to say no to the things that I don't think I'm supposed to be putting my energy towards. And for me, this year, that was one of those things. And now I get to work on creating more you know, content for my courses and working on trying to get a workshop going in the next coming months, 
you know, trying to do some online group coaching things. There's so much that I now have the energy and the space for. So realize that by saying no to something, even if it's safe, even if it feels like maybe a good option, by saying no, you might be opening yourself up to say yes to something bigger, to say yes to something scarier, but yes to something that could truly actually lead you closer to the life and the person and the path that you ultimately want to be. And I think I really had to settle into the truth that I was worth that risk, that it was okay that I was scared or uncertain, but you know, I really believe in my mission. I believe in my company. I believe in myself and the people around me. And if I believe all those things, then I believe that I'm worth taking that time. And so I took that little leap and I have felt so great about it. And I hope that this maybe encourages you to rethink some of the things you're saying yes to versus some of the things that you could maybe say no to. A great book on that is a book called The Best Yes, um, if you are somebody who struggles with learning how to say no. So I recommend you reading that book. But today's episode has nothing to do with anything that I've just been talking about. Just wanted to catch you up a smidge on some of my New Year's stuff. But with the new year, I know a lot of people are making goals around food, right? They're making lots of ideas about how they're going to shift things or want to tweak things and change things. And and what a lot of people consider and feel like they struggle with is something called emotional eating. And I really wanted to talk about that because I think that sometimes we can use emotional eating as sort of a catch-all when really, you know... Eating in general is kind of an emotional thing. You tend to feel something when you eat, and if not all the time, some of the time, right? You're either maybe feeling sad, or you're feeling celebratory, or you're feeling stressed. Like, we have emotions as humans, and eating is part of our day-to-day life. It is natural that we would be emotional when we eat. However, obviously, If you're choosing to eat as a way of coping with your emotions, that can be something that isn't as productive. So I want to kind of break down what emotional eating looks like and also kind of help you process through maybe you aren't an emotional eater even though you felt like you are, even though you've identified that way and what you might actually be instead. And then some different tools in which you can kind of self-assess and step out of that habit because food at the end of the day is absolutely a great part of our lives. It's a source of nutrients and fuel and can be something to be celebrated with, but it is an inanimate object that cannot fix our hurt feelings, even though it temporarily feels that way. It cannot heal wounds that you need to process through, even if it's easier to just eat and ignore them. So I really want to discuss this and dig into this today. I'm so excited to talk about emotional eating. I think that it's something that um, there's a lot of confusion on and a lot of people identify with it, but they don't really know what that means or why. So hopefully after this episode, you do have that clarity. So we are going to hear a quick note about our sponsor, and then we're going to get started. So oftentimes we can kind of wonder, why do we turn to food in general? Why, when I feel sad or stressed, do I go for the ice cream? Do I go for the fries? Or 
popcorn, whatever it might be. I don't know. I've been going for popcorn lately. Tej and I are currently doing a um, fast with our church and we are only able to eat like plant-based. So fruits and veggies and fruits and veggie offshoots of products. Popcorn has been one of those things that I have been eating a lot of, which is why it came to mind. Maybe you eat popcorn when you're sad. So maybe this applies. Maybe you're more of an ice cream gal. Whatever it is, why do we do that? Why do we turn to food ultimately? And I think for a lot of people, negative emotions can lead to this sort of feeling of emptiness or an emotional void. And food is to sort of is believed, I guess, to be a way to feel that void and to create this false sense of fullness or temporary wholeness, right? And so because of that, I think a lot of people feel that fullness. They feel kind of that like high from typically eating, you know, foods that are higher in sugar, which gives you this initial high. But obviously that comes down. And then at the end of the day, we're sort of still left with these unprocessed emotions with eating when we weren't fully connected to ourselves. And that doesn't make us feel good. So how can you kind of tell the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger? And I think there are like signs that are specifically physical hunger and signs there are physically emotional hunger. So I'm going to kind of break those down for you so that maybe you are more aware of like, oh, this is an indication that I'm physically hungry or oh, I might be emotionally hungry at this point, not physically hungry. So physical hunger is something that slowly develops over time. You won't just like out of nowhere be hungry. For emotional kind of hunger, that does come up suddenly or abruptly. So that is kind of an important difference or distinguishing. When you're feeling hunger, it's like, did this just come out of nowhere? Was this just triggered by a specific situation? Or have you not eaten in like six hours and you are slowly getting hungrier and hungrier? For physical hunger, you're going to desire a variety of food groups. Whereas with your emotional hunger, you're typically craving only certain items. You are seeking out specific things. Whereas like when you're just hungry in general, you feel like a variety of foods. You, that's how we are as people. We don't always crave the same exact thing. However, you know, a lot of women, oh, when I PMS, all I want is dark chocolate. Or when I'm stressed out, all I go for is blank. That is an emotional eating kind of point or sign, I guess. For physical hunger, you will feel the sensation of fullness and take it as a cue to stop eating. I know that is hard for some people who don't feel as connected to their body signals. Listen to my episode about intuitive eating. I also have a blog post about that. When you can feel and sense your hunger and fullness levels, you know when you should eat and when you shouldn't eat. And so with physical hunger, you kind of start to feel full and you're like, okay, I'm done eating. Whereas emotionally, you may not have that sensation as much because you're ultimately not truly hungry. So you end up almost binging and not feeling this sensation of fullness because what you're trying to satisfy isn't a physical hunger, it's an emotional hunger. And finally, with physical hunger, you know, you tend you don't really have negative feelings about eating or as you're eating. Whereas with emotional hunger, a lot of that can kind of be accompanied with guilt or shame about eating because you realize like 
you're not super hungry, but you're choosing to use that instead. So those are some different comparisons to saying like, am I physically hungry or am I emotionally hungry? Um, I got some great insights from an article in the Washington Post sort of about how we've almost like misidentified emotional hunger. And the hard part is a lot of people who consider themselves to be emotional eaters are truly convinced that if they could solve this problem, all of their food and weight woes would evaporate. But rarely is this actually the case because emotional eating isn't really about food. And that is sort of the crux of all of it. The idea of emotional eating, this concept, was born in the 1960s. And the idea being that emotional eaters couldn't tell the difference between hunger and the physical sensations to accompany those like unpleasant emotions. And today, we often think of emotional eating as like feeding our feelings. But even though we think that emotions drive us to overeat, there is certain research that suggests that it may be more of a perception of how we're eating rather than a reality. The hard part of all of this is it's hard to self-assess because you you have difficulty accurately recalling past emotions, past eating behavior, and whether there was really a connection between the two. So your reflection of your eating habits and if you were emotionally eating probably reveals more about how you think about how you think your eating is tied to your emotions rather than your eating behavior itself. So I think that this is an important thing to distinguish and an important thing to call out. Your reflection on how you see yourself eating speaks more about your eating and how it's tied to your emotions rather than actually your eating behavior. So calling yourself an emotional eater could reflect kind of conflicted feelings about your food choices, whether it was the amount or the perceived healthiness, even if your eating habits are not all that different from someone who doesn't identify as an emotional eater. It is your perception of how you ate and why you ate and how much you ate or whatever it might be rather than you know, what it is in general, or you think very differently about it because you consider yourself an emotional eater. I want to like ask, does that make sense? But I know you can't tell me because I can't hear you. But I hope you're kind of following because it it's weird that it gets a little convoluted because to accurately identify someone as an emotional eater is tricky because a lot of people identify themselves that way. But It's interesting that I was reading in this article and I listened to her podcast. There's a woman, Christy Harrison, who does a lot of research into this area. And what she kind of speaks to is that oftentimes dieting or any restriction of an amount of food or a type of food can lead to emotional eating due to this physical or psychological deprivation. So it isn't so much that you're eating because you're sad. You're eating that because you're sad because you're also depriving yourself whether you realize it or not. And research actually shows that former and or current dieters are more likely to describe themselves as emotional eaters, while those who have never dieted tend to avoid food when experiencing stress or strong emotions due to the appetite squelching flight or fight response. So think about it. If you are someone who gets really stressed out 
and your appetite goes away, you probably haven't had a strong tie to a diet. Maybe you haven't, so maybe you're like, that doesn't apply. But most research shows that people who have dieted tend to identify more strongly as an emotional eater than those who haven't. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, we can see, again, it's all about seeing ourselves and not really being able to determine are we or aren't we or how we were eating in those moments. So people can feel like, you know, they shouldn't be feeling hungry because they ate enough. And according to their diet, they blame themselves because they, you know, shouldn't be hungry right now. And they label the eating they're doing emotional instead of blaming the diet for making them so physically deprived that they can't help but eat. So that's kind of her tie is saying like when you are so hungry because you're following this plan that is more than likely encouraging you to eat less than you really need to, you feel emotional and frustrated towards yourself because you want to say, I shouldn't be hungry. I should be fine. So you feel emotional as you eat and therefore you say, I'm just an emotional eater. That's why I can't stick to this rather than being like, hmm, maybe this diet isn't feeding me enough. I mean, you already know how I feel about diets in general. And truly, most of them are not feeding you enough. Most of them are making you fear lots of different food groups that are beautiful and should be a part of your everyday diet. So that physical deprivation can lead to emotional eating mainly because we're biologically hungry and we misidentify it as emotional rather than just like, I'm not actually eating enough. So it's important to understand if you are physically or psychologically feeling deprived. So the difference is physical deprivation is when you don't eat enough and you're biologically hungry. And then psychological deprivation can happen when you've placed a certain food off limits, making it forbidden. So you end up eating that food feeling overly full and then you label that type of eating as emotional instead of recognizing kind of that the rule of forbidding you to eat that particular food is what caused the eating. And the solution is removing the restriction. I could really identify with this right now because of being on my fast. There's a lot of foods that are off limits to me. And it's interesting because in some ways, sure, it does feel like a diet. But for the first time in my life, the reason I'm avoiding these foods is for a spiritual reason, not for a physical reason. Yes, I have seen physical differences. But ultimately, I know that I don't want to live a life without cheese. I don't want to live a life without wine. So I know that the physical changes that I'm seeing within my body will probably not last for forever because this is not a way in which I want to eat for forever. But as soon as I realized that I couldn't have the dark chocolate Reese's peanut butter cups from Trader Joe's that are sitting in my pantry, oh man, that is all I wanted. Haven't wanted them in forever. They've sat in my pantry for quite a while. And as soon as I couldn't eat them, all I wanted was to eat them. And that is that diet mindset that many of us have that then I would say, I'm just being emotional. I have no self-control. I can't control myself around food. That is stemming from this concept of restriction. So again, the, the true reason is not that I'm an emotional eater. It's that I'm a restricted eater. So maybe if you've identified for a long time as an emotional eater, what you really are 
is someone who is stuck in this restricted or diet mindset, whether you realize it or not. And when you turn to these foods, you can't help but feel guilt or shame and blame yourself rather than blame the process, rather than blame the diet, rather than blame the culture. So it's interesting because though this may sound odd, some experts call emotional eating a gift. And it's a clear signal that your needs aren't being met and that something needs to change. So awareness of this is really helpful. If you feel like you're seeking out food truly to cope with your emotions, that's a great signal. That is something your body is trying to tell you. Just like when your body's trying to tell you that it's hungry, it's not trying to screw over your diet. It is literally just trying to help you function optimally. So when you're mislabeling, this psychological or physical deprivation and considering it emotional eating, you're never going to truly get to the root of it. So physical and psychological deprivations are diet driven. Emotional eating is truly a signal that there is something going on that needs to be dealt with that can't be just fixed by food, even if that's how you're choosing. So awareness of when you're eating to self-soothe is the first step to kind of breaking some of these unhelpful eating patterns. But mainly, you want to be curious about it. You want to understand your body. So consider your, if you consider yourself an emotional eater, I really encourage you to reflect on the role that maybe dieting and deprivation might be playing within your life. Because most of us just don't accidentally end up as emotional eaters. And emotional eating isn't actually as widely common as we make it because, again, it's been misattributed. So if you feel either way like you're an emotional eater or you've identified as an emotional eater and you're realizing, huh, maybe it is stemming from the fact that I restrict so much or that I feel like I'm always on a diet, that is so good to be aware of. Don't be blame yourself and find another reason to get mad at yourself. It's great that you are aware of this now because once you're aware of it, you can shift, you can change. It's hard to change if you don't know what you're supposed to change. So the, I have a few kind of tips or steps that are going to help you if you feel like you're eating emotionally, whether diet-driven or genuinely from your emotions. And the first one, kind of like I already said, is to get curious and consider the role that dieting has played. So maybe you keep feeling like you're feeling emotional and you realize, okay, I'm actually just hungry and I fear eating bread and that's all I want to eat right now. And it has nothing to do with me feeling sad, really. I'm just going to that food because it's the only food that's off limits. This is a really helpful thing. And as you start to add these foods back into your diet, you may realize that your emotional eating goes down. So this is great because really the root of it isn't your emotions at all. It's the diets themselves. So get curious. Try and understand why you're doing that. Now, if you do feel like, no, I don't diet, I don't restrict, and I do use food as a way to emotionally cope with situations. That is okay to be aware of for yourself. But the important thing is to understand that you need to address these emotions and you need to allow yourself to feel them and you need to allow yourself to process them. It is not bad to feel hard emotions, to feel 
sad or to feel jealous or to feel angry or all of these things. These are normal. We are human and we're supposed to feel these things. That's just life. But to shove them down and trying to cover them up with eating is not fixing the problem. And it's almost giving you this secondary issue because you don't understand why you are eating a certain way and you don't understand why you internally are feeling a certain way. So if you truly feel like your eating is driven emotionally, I strongly encourage you to talk to someone about it, to get counseling, to get help, to hire a coach, to talk through it through with a friend. There's no shame in talking with someone. This is another one of my 2020 resolutions is to start therapy. Obviously, I'm a talker. I love talking. But there's a lot of things that I haven't processed with an unbiased third party that I think would make me a better wife, a better friend, a better coach, a better daughter, a better person. And there's no shame in that. So if you feel like that might be you, I really encourage you to talk to someone about it. Now, if you feel like you're not to that level, there are other ways that I think it's really important to cope with stress. So if you are feeling stressed and you know that that's when you tend to head to food, it's important to try and figure out what can you focus on instead. So one idea is meditating. I think that this is something to where it allows you to sit, to feel, to have a certain level of an awareness that you might sort of be ignoring. So choose to meditate for 10 or 15 minutes. Call a friend and just process through or try and get your mind off things until you feel like you're in a better headspace to process. Go outside, move your body, get some fresh air, get in a good sweat, get those endorphins going. Read a book. Reading a book is really actively engaging your mind. So read a book or take a bath. Allow yourself to, you know, light some candles and use some bubble bath and whatever. But a lot of the times, the easiest thing to do when we're stressed is to go towards habits that don't ultimately make us the best version of ourselves. And occasionally, that's okay and that's normal. But if you're stressed out every single day or multiple days of the week, it's important to have healthy habits to cope with those emotions. So sure, head to the ice cream occasionally, but there are definitely times where a run or a bath or calling a friend is just as good as an option. You just need to make yourself aware of that option and give yourself the opportunity to try that instead. Another great thing you can sort of do just to understand, I had a, I have my clients do this, is log their food and not in a capacity to like track calories, track nutrients, nothing like that. But log your food along with logging your emotions. I actually have a log that I send to any of my clients who are doing the Worth More course program. Um, so if you're interested in seeing something like that, go ahead and you know send me a DM or an email. But this log, yes, it asks, what did you eat for breakfast? But it also addresses, how were you feeling when you ate? How much did you eat? Did you feel full when you finished? What? Why did you go for those things? And when you can understand your habits and what's driving your decisions, then you know what you can tweak. You know what you can change. One of my clients, she said, I realized that I prep and I do a great job all week long. And then Friday I finish and I'm exhausted because work was rough. I had a long week and the weekend, I just don't care. 
I don't try. I don't prep ahead of time. I do nothing. I plan for Monday through Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday are spent scrambling, trying to de-stress, not really eating great, whatever. And when that awareness arose, she was like, okay, if I can start planning to buy food that gets me through the weekend too, and then incorporate different ways to de-stress throughout the week, I'm not going into the weekend as drained and emotional as I bend towards food habits that I don't want to sustain long term. So by logging your food, it just brings to the surface things that you might not have seen otherwise. Again, remember, like I was saying earlier, self-assessing can be really hard because it's hard to see ourselves maybe in the truest of lights. You know, we might want to sugarcoat it or maybe we're overly hard on ourselves. So self-assessing is only goes so far. So if you can log it, then you can actually see like what is real. What am I really doing? And the final tip that I have for you is to work on your positive self-talk. This is so important. This is important for like a hundred different reasons, but oftentimes there's so much shame and guilt that is surrounded by food and especially surrounded by emotional eating because most of the time emotional eaters consider themselves people who eat when things aren't great and they turn to food when things aren't great. And then from that space, they develop more shame and more guilt because they did it again and it gets trapped in this cycle. So if you can work on how you speak to yourself, how you speak about yourself, you can better cope with those situations as they come up. They will come up. Again, that's normal. That's life. It's fine. But if you can have sort of an internal narrative that allows you to better cope with them and to say, it's okay. I am learning. I am trying to process this differently. I know that I'm not feeling happy and I know that I'm going to like consciously choose to do X and that's okay. This is a great start. Just have a conversation with yourself. I literally feel like I'm like, quote, quote, talking to myself all the time, telling myself, you can do this, Cammie. It's okay, Cammie. You got this. No, don't worry about that. You're totally worthy and powerful to show up in this moment. You know, it's okay that you ate that. Don't let that old diet talk get you back stuck in. Yes. Okay. I see your abs. Don't feel like you have to keep depriving yourself to stay there. That's okay. I mean, I'm constantly doing these talks with myself constantly, but it's great because it allows me to actually get to know myself on a deeper level. I feel more connected to my emotions, more connected to my actions and my decisions, and also realize that I am not an emotional eater. I'm not. Um, I don't know if I ever really considered myself one, but maybe, but I can definitely see now that all of my decisions to go towards certain foods in times of stress or times of celebrations or in times of whatever were driven by wanting things that I was depriving myself of, not for ways of numbing my emotions. So maybe that's you, or maybe this just affirmed that, yeah, you do fall more in like the true emotional eating category, and that's okay too. It's important to just have that awareness, and I think we can feel a lot of shame, and there's no reason to feel any shame around either of these things. But once you have the awareness, I encourage you to take the steps to create a healthier relationship, not only with yourself, but with the food as well. So remember, get curious, consider 
maybe the role that dieting has played. Address your emotions and allow yourself to feel them, maybe even by talking to someone like a counselor. Find other ways of coping with stress. Log your food in a capacity to understand, not track. And work on your positive self-talk. Because you are amazing, you are worthy, you are listening to this because there is someone inside of you that's saying, I want to show up as the best version of myself. And you are doing that already. So continue to remind yourself how amazing you are, how worthy you are, and show up for yourself curiously and confidently. I hope that you have an amazing day. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast. If you are enjoying it, I would love to hear from you. And until next time, I hope you have an amazing day.